1987, the great Tom Hanks starred in a movie called The Bonfire of the Vanities. Written as a satire by Tom Wolfe, it was a story of ambition, it was a story of class, and it was a story of wealth. And it featured Wall Street traders who were self-proclaimed masters of the universe. And whether you like the movie or not, what it seemed to have done is attracted a lot of us, including me and today's guest, to join the Wall Street ranks and try their luck on building a career in the Wall Street world. But what happens to a college graduate when they finally arrive on Wall Street, they go to work every day and they ask themselves, is this it? What else is there? And sometimes, rather than living in a small apartment and going to work in a skyscraper, what would life be like if I lived in and around the great outdoors and my skyscraper was now a mountain? Should I make the change? And if so, can I do it in such a way that integrates my passion for high altitude air with the strong sense of purpose to make a difference in the universe? Welcome to A Climb to the Top, Stories of Transformation on Talk Radio 77 WABC. I'm Chuck Garcia, and my guest this evening is Penn Newhart. Penn, welcome to A Climb to the Top. Welcome, Chuck. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Now, to introduce Penn, I think the best way as we follow the lineage of this story is to recognize that he started in one place on the East Coast and is now in another place up in the Rocky Mountains. Penn is the CEO or a co-founder of a company called Backbone Media, which does communications, public relations, and other media designs for many companies. Penn, tell us about Backbone Media and the emergence thereof and what you do, and then I want to go back to where it all started as a bonfire of the vanity. Gotcha. So uh, Backbone Media is a, a modern media company. Um, we primarily work in the areas of communication. So public relations, traditional public relations work in communication comms for a number of active lifestyle brands. Uh, we also do a fair amount of analysis and digital media. So we actually, we're not graphic designers by trade. We're not creatives, but we do the nuts and bolts of breaking down campaigns and how best to get the word out on various platforms. So spanning everything from, well, I mean, everything from billboards and traditional print media to, you know, Pandora, Spotify, all the digital platforms, all the social platforms, um, and even direct TV now. So um, we do that. We also do community management. So working with influencers to build awareness um, on campaigns. And we also do some affiliate marketing work. So tying great brands and their direct sales networks um, to the social platforms and that influence there. And something in your desire to graduate from Brown led you to another place. Why did you pick Wall Street and what did you do when you got there? So it, it was pretty simple, really. Um, I was naturally curious. I actually had grown up, as you said, in St. Louis, but had moved around quite a bit. I'd never lived anywhere for more than six years. Um, and as I was preparing to graduate going into my senior year, uh, that was 1985-86, um, you know, I, I was very curious. I wanted to go travel. And my dad, who had you know, he, he had served in the Korean conflict and then worked after that. He was a Navy pilot and then he worked actually in the brokerage business. Just kind of looked at me and he said, well, how, how are you going to pay for that? You know, basically 
you know, you have an education, it's time to go, go to work and nail your foot down to the floor. So uh, being that it was 1986 and, and actually being that I had the, the book, you know, by Tom Wolfe that you, Masters of the Universe, I mean, that was, that was prevalent thinking. So sure, I was like, I'll go to New York, I'll work really hard for a handful of years, hopefully save up, you know, my year-end bonuses. And then if all goes to plan, I might be able to go and, and go adventuring and, and explore a little bit around the world. But it didn't quite go over the years that you had imagined. What was happening in the time that you were heading to that big skyscraper and the, you were trading bonds? Doing what I was doing, I was shuffling paper to make more money for the firm. I was, you know, I was trading for a firm account. And so I wasn't building anything. You know, it, it was just an exciting, you know, kind of, rambunctious fun time to be on Wall Street and certainly to experience that and to share those experiences with all of my friends there it was an amazing time but for me I, I always for some reason had some curiosity around the high mountains and I had no real experience I was very curious so I ended up when I left New York um, after about three years in 1989 I went down to South America um, with a guided group and we climbed Aconcagua uh, which is the highest mountain in the southern um, hemisphere. Yep. And then from there, uh, went to Nepal and trekked for about two and a half months. And then from there, went up to Alaska um, and was up on Denali. And so just went, kind of went all in on it. And, and, and what I found out very quickly was that, um, I mean, for some reason, I was attracted to the mountains. And once I got there, I found that they were even greater than I had hoped. Right. And so the lessons that I learned and, and, and the, the way it made me feel um, was just exceptional. And I decided that from that point forward, I wanted to you know, build my life in the mountains. I didn't know what that entailed or I didn't even understand what that really meant. Right. Uh, but that was, it, it became very clear to me that that was the path forward. Well, that though, it seems is a transformative moment because while you were going to the skyscraper, the Wall Street career, making money, doing well, to most 99% of the people, they just stay with it because it's, it's a career of stability, so to speak, yet you can always bank the money. Yet here you were, you were thinking differently about a career. Were you thinking differently about life or was this just a career thing? Uh, gosh, you know... I don't think there's a whole lot of thinking going into your average 25-year-old <laughs> boy's head. Um, I do remember a very distinct conversation with my boss, who is a guy who I still have a tremendous amount of respect for, Paul Isaac, who he ran the Muni department. At, I was at a firm called Maybon Nugent and & Company. And uh, I got my year-end bonus. I deposited it, made sure the check cleared, and then I went in to resign because I was leaving on January 2nd. You know, this is probably four days before Christmas, and I had to give him like the two-week notice, and I was leaving for South America. <laughs> the mind was made up. It was, was kind of like a suicide squeeze button baseball. <laughs> right, the runners um, are right. Yeah. You're already gone. Going. <laughs> right. yeah. um, but, uh, but so I went in, and I told him what my plan was, and, you know, his first instinct was, you know, more or less like, okay, who are you talking to? you know, it's about money. How much more money do you want? Right. And I explained to him that really it had, money had nothing to do with it for me. And, and he had a hard time, like it, you could see like from his world and his perspective, what success meant was one thing. And I was kind of 
just beginning to grapple with a different set of values that apply to me. And, you know, not all values apply to all people. So you have to respect, you know, what makes one person motivated to, to pursue excellence, maybe one thing, and it can be 100% different for somebody else. Right. Um, but at the end of it, he, he looked at me and he said, hey, do you have a life insurance policy? And I looked at him. I mean, I barely knew what that was, right? I was like, of course not. And he's like, good, because if you did, I'd short it. <laughs> and, and I was just like, to, to, wow. to, to our listeners who, who may not have Wall Street experience, it means you would get on the opposite side of that transaction, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. So he was super gracious. I mean, that, that's, that's New York, like tough, to the point, great conversation. And, and, and he, he really, you know, conveyed his, his point of view very clearly to me. And, you know, he was very gracious and said, hey, look, if you decide to come back, you know, let me know and I'll, I'll let you, write you a letter of recommendation or if you want to come back here. You know, but I mean, in 1989, not a lot of kids were dropping out of Wall Street to vagabond around with, you know, no real idea of what that meant right. um, and an open itinerary. And so uh, that was my plan, much to the consternation of my parents and grandparents at the time. But hey, you know, that's uh, that as as you know, that, that's what makes an adventure going into the mountains. Uh, it's all of the uncertainty and embracing that and learning how to navigate through that, that's, that becomes so much more vital and, and, and I think has ended up providing you know, su such a great learning platform for me in my life. Indeed, and that is the metaphor of climbing that we apply to our lives, that we apply to our careers, a step at a time, can't do it alone. Yet here you were feeling, hey, I think I really like this mountain thing. At what point did it turn into a career aspiration and what did you do about it? So um, I traveled for about six months. Um, I had some funny stuff going down in my family. And at that point, I was going to travel for another six months, but go to the South Pacific and New Zealand. I wanted to go uh, down to uh, the New Zealand Alps and then go to Africa. Um, but that wasn't in the cards just because of some family dynamics. I didn't want to be completely away. And I mean, back in 1989, it was you know send a postcard once a month to my mom or dad kind of thing. It wasn't, you know, you didn't, we didn't have the internet, no we didn't text. have phones, all of that. Um, but then I started guiding here and teaching rock climbing and mountaineering and guiding 14,000 foot peaks and taking people on winter hut trips. And so I worked kind of for three years, a slew of, I was a raft guide, I was a snowmaker, I pounded nails in the off season. But you know, I could also take six weeks off and go to Alaska to climb Mount Logan or go to Yosemite and go climb long routes um, and just kind of dirt bag around. Um, so that seasonal work, you know, provided real freedom. And, you know, as they say, there, there is actually a leisure class at, at both ends of the economic spectrum. There's one just above the poverty level or right around there. And then there's obviously the 1%. And then over time, I, I got a job at Climbing Magazine and worked there for five years and really immersed myself in the climbing and skiing worlds. And then from there, I had the opportunity to start Backbone, which was about 23 years ago. You're listening to A Climb to the Top, Stories of Transformation on Talk Radio 77 WABC. I'm Chuck Garcia. My guest this evening is Penn Newhard. Penn, I suspect, in looking at your background, when you wrote for Climbing Magazine, whether you knew it or not, that was setting you up for your next career, was it not? Yes, for sure. And uh, one thing that I've really been a huge fan of in, in my career, and I try to provide this now, is, is mentorship. And, and I think, um, I actually think great leadership 
it comes from a much more um, servant leadership style. Uh, um, I mean, while I can understand and appreciate kind of appreciate authoritarian like leadership top down, that's never really appealed to me. And when I was at climbing, there were a number of people there who, I mean, if you go deep into the alpinist world and, and, and like core climbing world of the late 80s, early 90s, Michael Kennedy, who was the owner, was one of the top alpinists in the world at that time. Um, you know, the, the humility and precision that they ran their lives with. Um, a number of people there, Mike Bench, Allison Osius, I mean, they're fantastic human beings, taught me a ton. And I think that that, I think also pursuing highly individualized sports, um, you learn a lot about yourself. I mean, uh, success and failure, it's not a team game. And, and you have to be absolutely self-reliant in the way that, you know, I mean, growing up, I read William Wordsworth and Henry David Thoreau and self-reliance. And, and I think that being accountable to yourself and being honest as to your ability and what you can and can't achieve and, and the steadiness of, of breaking big goals down into small steps and slowly grinding your way up in terms of gaining the skill sets and, and the ability to take on bigger tasks was paramount to my experience in, in becoming an entrepreneur. How did you apply that mountaineering metaphor to the formation of Backbone Media? So, well, I think, the first one is uh, the number of times I've been at, on a trailhead or at a trailhead looking up at the, the day's objective and thinking, there's no way I'm going to get up to the top of, you know, that peak and back safely or in a day or, you know, in four days, whatever, whatever the goal is. Um, and what you learn is you, you learn that if you just start going until it's very, very apparent that you need to turn around more times than not, you're going to succeed. And so it's really about, you know, being able to have the patience and tenacity to just walk uphill with a heavy pack and, 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 and continue to put in the effort and to be honest with yourself and with your team. And if you do that, it's, it's really all of a sudden what initially seems intimidating and imposing almost becomes unlimited. Well, backbone wouldn't be where it is without, so many great people who have contributed along uh, along the way, so many great partners, both brands who we represent and internally our team. Um, I mean, just phenomenal. What did you set out to do at the very onset and how has it evolved looking back? Yeah, so um, when we were at Climbing Magazine, uh, the gear editor was a guy named Dwayne Raleigh, who grew up climbing in Oklahoma in the Wichita mountains. Um, not exactly a hot spot for climbing, but <laughs> it was a legend. That um, didn't appear, I read Climb yeah. Magazine. It didn't appear in Climb. climb. <laughs> yeah. Well, there might've been a couple super like, you know, less than vertical, super, super run out. So not exactly de rigor for, you know, sport climbing today. Um, but so Dwayne used to do super critical reviews of gear right. because I mean, in climbing, it can just save your life. So yeah. plain and simple, we weren't going to sugarcoat anything. Yep. And I was on the media, on the marketing and, and business side, selling advertising and marketing the magazine. And inevitably, someone would get an A in a review and someone would get a less than satisfactory grade. Sometimes some of those, those brands would have a, you know, a bunch of advertisements like a spread or a full page or they'd be investing in that product. So inevitably, 
we consistently saw that if if advertising was silver, that great editorial was gold. And, and so that we looked around in the marketplace, no one was helping the brands with their relationship with editors. So mm. in the ski space with powder magazine or skiing or ski or free skier or in the fly fishing space, no one was working with the editorial staffs to tell that story. And if you are an end user, if you're an avid angler or cyclist or a climber or a skier, there's always buzz every season as to what the new hot thing is. And no one was managing that process. So we saw an opportunity. Now, I'm not sure if it's a good idea to try to base your business and build a business where there doesn't appear to be a market. But I am uh, sure that, you know, back then I looked back and I was joking actually with my primary partner, Nate Simmons, just the other day, because we were joking about the old days. And, and he and I were, were kind of laughing like, hey, we weren't the best at what we did. We weren't the best or the brightest. I mean, we weren't the best ones. We were the only one. <laughs> you know that so, puts you in a pretty good place. <laughs> exactly. And like I said, I'm not sure it's smart to try to, to build a, a, an entirely new market. But what's interesting is you look at, the economy today and brands like Yeti coolers. I mean, they defined a new price point in a new marketplace and that completely blew up. I really appreciate the entrepreneurialism that looks for market opportunities and jumps in to create space. And, and so to a certain extent, I mean, we didn't really know what we were doing. We just, we, we, we just saw an opportunity and we believed in ourselves. Um, and as I later learned, I mean, Believing in yourself is one thing, but having other people believe in you is quite another. Yeah, because so, they're actually going to pay you for that. <laughs> exactly. So in that, you need to be able to communicate and you need to be able to, to sell your vision or promote your vision. And, and I think that's where, that's where the magic in business happens. And that's the uncertainty, going back to the climbing analogy. Um, I mean, really, we, we established Backbone and we've always applied the principles of adventure and, and mountaineering and river running and, 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 and that adventurous kind of mentality. And that's our credo in terms of our business. Like we run our business like we would an expedition. And, and I think for us, that's always been a, a wonderful way of approaching business because it's all about navigating terrain you haven't encountered before, doing it efficiently, overcoming obstacles, um, and, and, and being able to read the weather and the wind and when to go and when to pull back. You know, all of those elements are 100% are applicable and, and I think are actually probably a, a lighter, more nimble way to navigate, you know, uh, the American corporate structure and, and our economy today. I've always thought about on my climbing adventures, it's, it was always a preparation, mental and physical, but preparation meets improvisation because every mountain was different and the things that happened to us on each expedition were different. And that's what I'd like to explore on your business. Can you mention some of your clients just so our listeners know, you know, your, who, who are you representing and what you do for them? Sure. So we help build brands. So that might be through earned media, like I said, through, you know, editorial environments, or it can be through advertising platforms. That can be lower funnel conversion tactics for people shopping on the website, you know, mm -hmm. making it sticky, making people want to buy, to right. building high level brand awareness. Right. Um, and so we, I mean, 
it's funny, we term ourselves as, as kind of active lifestyle. Our core, where we started, was very much in the climbing, hiking, biking, camping, snow sports world. Since then, I mean, just because I, I think our secret sauce there is that we do those things. We inherently understand those activities. That's what people want to do before, during, and after work, and on the weekends. So we were the end consumer, so it made it pretty easy for us to help try to tell those brand stories because, I mean, that's what made us tick. Right. As we've grown, we've worked very successfully in, in the hunting and fishing space. We also do a fair amount of travel tourism now, primarily Western, you know, Intermountain West. Um, and then, you know, I mean, our, our kind of, uh, our rule of thumb is if you like to go outside, do something active in a cool place, and maybe at the end of the day, have a beer or a glass of wine, that's, that's our work. So yes, we work in alcohol, we work, you know, we do work in great food, but we work with Yeti Coolers, Eddie Bauer, New Belgium Brewing, Black Diamond, La Sportiva, Big Agnes, Clean Canteen. Right. I mean, just uh, probably about 70 or 80 brands now. Right. Um, and most of them are all global. Um, but so it, it's been a super fun ride for us to kind of help develop these brands and, and, and I mean, our, basically our criteria for, I mean, we're no longer limited to outdoor brands per se. Mm -hmm. um, our, our new business funnel or the way we look at it is, do we respect the brand? Would we use it ourselves? Do we love it? Because right. right, people are gonna do a better job if, if they like what they're doing. Um, the second piece is, do we like the people? Because life's too short to be in a, you know, unproductive, working relationship or personal relationship. And then the last one is, can we be an asset to their marketing mix? And will they push us to be better? Right. And that's the real key there. Like not looking for the easy way, but appreciating the people who push you and challenge you. That's, that's actually so much, so much more important than, I mean, for us, you know, we throw templates out the window all the time and kind of take the hard path. Um, and maybe that's another mountaineering analogy. For <laughs> like a good mountaineer. I don't want the easy route. Give me the hardest one you got. Tell us about the culture of backbone media. And I say that because many of our listeners have entrepreneurial roots, but many until they are in the, in the mix of an entrepreneurial culture, don't quite understand what, how important that is. Right. How is it to you guys? Um, I, again, I'll draw an analogy. It's, it's like planning an expedition or a trip. Getting the right people in the room is, is absolutely critical to success. Uh, as I think, as companies are born and then begin to grow, I think the natural progress is not unlike humans as we grow up. Um, initially, you are looking for other people who are probably fairly similar to you and fairly well aligned because in the early days, you need as much momentum as possible to break into a market and, and to break through as a business. Right. So you need people who are fairly like-minded and very simpatico that way. Right. Um, as you grow and begin to gain success, I, I think it's actually more about diversity for the long-term vitality of the business, um, you really have to start to build out and, and look specifically and work hard to bring in people with differing points of view. Because right. the one thing I've learned is that, 
it's it's really more about staying open-minded and listening for us the media landscape is changing so dramatically every year it's much more as you said like you know i mean it's much more like alpine climbing you encounter difficult terrain and you might have to improvise and you might have to go back back from where you came and circle around or go left when you thought you were going to go right and so it's much more about um you know encountering the the business atmosphere that you see and 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 being intuitive and trusting your instincts and your experience but also being really open-minded what advice can you leave them with in their contemplation about leaving this thing behind that made mom and dad so proud Mm -hmm. and going on to something that may cause them to question their children's motives? Gosh, that's that's a great question, Chuck. And I I think there are three parts to the answer that I'll offer. Um, You actually talk about the power of three. So (laughs) I'm talking about that, yeah, in your book. Um, You and I talked about this a little bit before the call. And a couple of these are themes that I know you're a big fan of. One is is, um, humans feel things first. and, And then they think. Um, if you Chapter ever, two of the climb to the top, I may point out. So thank, yeah. thank you for bringing yeah. that to light. Yeah. Well, it's, and it's, it, it's really true though. I mean, you know, I had a great debate coach back in high school and he used to say, if, if you have your facts and I have mine and they're both equally good, who wins the debate? And the answer is the person who brings the emotion. And that's, I mean, we're humans, we're emotion, we cry. Um, so I think that's the first piece. And, and so we feel, and so if you feel that you have another calling and you have the next piece is conviction to pursue it. I mean, you feel, you have to think, and then the conviction. And I've always been a huge fan of a quote that is, it, it says great faith, great doubt, great effort. And it's, it's, you have to have the faith that you can achieve something. If it's a worthy goal, there has to be some doubt. I mean, if you know it's dead easy, there's not much challenge there. And, 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 and I think challenge is the source of inspiration. Um, the uncertainty of if you can make it to the top. I mean, with your climbing with the Matterhorn and Elbrus and you know, Kilimanjaro, it's the, the constant doubt. Am I gonna make it? Am I gonna get sick? Is the altitude too much? And then you have to put in the effort. So it's that conviction piece you know, there. And, and, and if you believe you can go there, Um, you'll never work a day in your life if you're challenged and and love what you do. And then the last thing I'll just tie in, which is is a great, um, something which really resonated with me when I was much younger and I didn't know it. I I read this poem way back in high school. A teacher pointed it out to me by Robert Frost and it's called Two Tramps in Mud Time. And it talks about combining your avocation and your vocation. And I think uh, I may butcher this a little bit, but it's something like, when you unite your avocation and vocation, your two eyes make one in sight. Only where love and need are one and work is played for mortal stakes is the deed ever really done. And I've always just loved that because it's, when you, you know, if you can combine those two pieces and you get to live and you get to work in an area where you're enthused, then, um, well, I, I think then you end up in a place of gratitude. I love that the, the hanging question is that the buildup to is the deed ever done? And yeah. I think for us, Penn, as mountaineers, I always, every time, wow, 
is it done? What, what's next? Is there more? What, what? <laughs> yeah. All good. Well, um, where, where, yeah. where well, do, we, do we find Backbone Media? Um, so backbonemedia.net, um, you know, and we are based in Colorado. We have offices in Denver, Colorado and Carbondale, Colorado. So the Western Slope, um, we represent a bunch of, of great brands and really fun people to work with and yeah. But to all of our listeners, you have listened to a climb to the top stories of transformation on Talk Radio 77 WABC. I am Chuck Garcia, and I am immensely proud to host Penn Newhart of Backbone Media. Penn, thank you very much for coming onto the show and sharing all of your advice and insight with our listeners. Yeah, Chuck, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much. You bet. Signing off to all of our listeners and viewers. Good night. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.